The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Or criticus, as the Romans might say. If they were no. dumb. <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't actually say that. Probably not. Uh, I, yeah, I'm also a critic, and I'm the co-host of this show. And this show right uh, you can find me on the internet where I contribute things. Good old things. Mm. Everybody likes those. Everybody likes things on the internet. That's true. Mm. And you know what everyone liked in the 90s? Mm. Celtic stuff. Celtic stuff was everywhere in the 90s. That's right. We had Riverdance. We had Riverdance. We had Sinead O'Connor. We had Henna Tattoos. A lot of tattoos. That's not really Celtic particular, but there was a lot of Celtic designs that were... Henna itself is not Celtic, but yeah, a lot of presumably not Irish white people were getting Celtic patterns tattooed on their bodies yeah i know a lot of non-irish people who actually had like celtic patterns tattooed on their bodies because it was cool because they look cool it was neat i would say although this was a little later uh the design of the lord of the rings films was very celt inspired absolutely it was there we was, had a lot of Braveheart and rob roy's uh Scot- scotland Scots, but, but, but it was okay, a si- yeah. to americans it was, it was six and one same, half of the dozen yeah. of the other it was very insulting um we had enya enya records and and uh flogging molly um with the cranberries which i rather liked uh-huh so there, there was just this weird explosion of irish stuff yeah in, in the 1990s and one of the weirder it, irish it, that, things that is in america in ireland it was always there <laughs> yeah, that's true and one of the one of the weirder th- uh, sort of footnotes we have of this oh. uh, uh particular trend mm. uh, in the 1990s is a show that we're about to review today on cancel too soon it aired for just uh, about about half a season uh, thir- 13 full episodes Thir- that counts as a season that's true but it could have gone on longer it doesn't have much like a cliffhanger if you think about it mm. but it, it it's uh it stars heath ledger and y- young baby Heath Ledger. And young baby Vera Farmiga. Mm. It's a little show called... Rar. It's called Roar. Roar. She sees the future with her eyes. Some people think I'm a demon. He holds the future in his hands. If I'm to die, it won't be because of you. A young hero and a beautiful girl take on a world of unexplainable forces. <laughs> In an all-new epic adventure, you will hear the roar Monday at 9 in Central on Fox. Roar! <laughs> roar, based on the Katy Perry song. Uh... <laughs> I think it inspired the Katy Perry song, okay, to be fair. Th- to be fair. Yeah. Roar uh, came first. Uh, Roar is a Celtic adventure show uh, that I want to say was partly put in production because of the success of shows like 
uh, Hercules, the legendary journeys and Xena warrior princess, but it's not nearly as fun. Well, it's, I think, uh, it's my understanding that roar was greenlit partially because Hercules and Xena were successful. Mm-hmm. Hercules and Xena, uh, left their stamp on popular culture, but they're not like shown very much anymore. They were this, uh, uh syndicated action adventure shows that took place in ancient Greek times. And there was a lot of self-aware pr- winked by Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. So that should point you in the right direction. Yeah, there was a lot of self-aware winking humor, but there was also really fun characters and some meaningful storylines mm-hmm. and people had a lot of affection for them. And there were a, f- a handful of knockoff type shows, one of which was Roar, which was basically the brave, Cal- the teen Braveheart with magic, uh, teen, teen Irish Braveheart with magic. W- with but the magic isn't in- introduced until a couple episodes in, which is a little odd. But. Not officially, any well, there's a little bit. We'll we'll talk mm. about that, but it doesn't go like full. And and here's a woman made of clay for some reason. Like they don't go <laughs> nuts with it. Right off the bat, it feels like they were trying to keep it relatively grounded for a while. Uh, the show aired on Fox, the Fox Network, from mm. July 14th through September 1st. A uh, whole bunch of episodes didn't even bother airing. <laughs> uh, it aired, uh, yeah, Eight of the 13 episodes aired. The final five we saw on our special DVD. It aired Mondays at 9 p.m., where it got destroyed by reruns of Sybil and Murphy Brown and Caroline in the City and Wings. Remember the, remember the juggernaut that was Caroline in the City? <laughs> the story about Leah Thompson as, a, as basically the cartoonist behind Kathy, but not really? Yeah. And yeah. how that was way bigger than an action-adventure show, an expensive action-adventure show, starring Heath Ledger and Vera Farmiga. Although it's kind of easy to see why, because Roar is kind of boring. Uh, I thought you were going to say, because Caroline in the City was amazing. Uh, well, you know what? I'm not terribly familiar with Caroline in the City. I it was, watched it, was it at the time. one of those juggernauts that I was easily able to sidestep throughout my youth, which is... Seems to be all I did as a kid, is get out of the way of pop culture juggernauts. All right, so Roar was the brainchild of producers Sean Cassidy, who we've already not, run into before. Not, But not Sean Cassidy, Man Undercover. No, no, although he is uh, uh, David Cassidy's brother. Okay. Uh, he was the co-star of the Hardy Boys Mysteries, Sean Cassidy. Uh, he produced Emerald City, which we've already reviewed on the show. That's right. And we're going to run into him a lot, because he also did a bunch of Cancel Too Soon series like Invasion and the original American Gothic and Hollyweird. I, uh, I can't wait for Holly Weird. It was also produced by Ron Coslow, who had his biggest success when he created the TV series Beauty and the Beast, which uh-huh. was a big deal, like in the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. Uh, but since then, he had like a bunch of like, you know, a whole bunch of Cancel Too Soon series, including Moonlight, which you get a lot of requests for and we'll get to eventually, uh, Birds of Prey, which we've already reviewed, and a weird show called My Life and Times, which is about a guy in the year 2035 remembering his whole life, including stuff that had happened by the early 90s and stuff that would have supposed to happen in the late 90s and 2000s. So I really want to watch that sometime. (laughs) Speculative fiction TV series. Yeah, The show Um, stars Heath Ledger as a young Irish prince. Named Connor. Yeah. He's the prince of a Celtic tribe that in the first episode is destroyed by the Romans, and he uh, takes it upon himself to unite the tribes in order mm. to stop the Romans. Yeah, that's, that's the basic premise of the show. It takes place in the 4th century, and it has essentially the exact same premise as Asterix comics. If you've ever read Asterix. Do you know I, Asterix at all? I have, but I don't know right. how popular they are in America to this day, so maybe you should yeah. give people a uh, uh, Asterix is a terribly popular around the rest of the world, just not here in America, uh, and it takes place in uh, AD 50 yeah. in a little tiny Gaulish village on the north coast of France. And, what would become and, France, anyway. Well, the yeah, Gaul, which yeah. would become France. Uh, 
And it's evidently based on fact. There was this one tiny village on the north coast of Gaul that was never occupied by the Romans. Like, evidently, they were just, you know, just positioned just correctly that they were able to fight off the Roman invaders. So that one tiny village never became Roman occupied. They were Gaul through and through. And uh, the comics posit that it's because the Gauls had, like, a druid that gave them magic potion that gave them super strength. But you they, know. But, of course, they had to leave the village and go to Rome. And it was actually very historically accurate, these comics and Asterix and Obelix were the main characters. And they were funny characters. And I liked I liked this comics a lot. If you're, like, a Roman history nerd, they're, they'll be right up your alley. Um, this is kind of the same in that it's about the Celtic tribes who are essentially trying to fend off Roman occupation, even though Ireland is occupied by Rome at this point. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's, they're the, here, they're in charge, but they, they haven't won over the hearts and minds. Right, right. In fact, so, I think hearts and minds is actually used as a line of dialogue. We were going to win over their hearts and minds. Right. So the, the Roman queen, the, the bad guy in mm-hmm. this scenario is Lisa Zane. Yay! Lisa Zane Le- from Prophet and the human target. And... Billy Zane's sister. And and everything where she's just teetering uh, teetering on the precipice of fame that she never quite acquired. Lisa Zane, Lisa Zane is someone we, we're going to run into so much. Like, it, <laughs> we just ran into her recently with Human Target. We're going to run into her. We ran into her with Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. We ran into her with Profit. We're going to run into her with Chicago Justice someday. We're going to run into her with Dinotopia. <laughs> she, she, she was around. She, she, was she around. had a lot of almost success. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, in fact, she, she's still around. She's still working she's a songwriter now as well um, for her and here she is just vamping it up as this former prostitute who became a queen of ireland mm. because the romans liked her so much and in the first scene she's just covered in nothing but mud yeah she's introduced emerging from this like stupid gloppy mud bath that looks like pudding yeah uh, and and just, like she talks to like a paramour or somebody and then she lays back in the mud bath and then some guy. So, so some guy, like, emerges up out of the mud, but the mud is, like, this consistency of the pudding they had her lay down in is, like, so thick you couldn't even tell if he was human or not. Like, maybe it was just some sort of mud ghoul. <laughs> and then he says, she says, get back down there. So her, her fetish is mud guys. O- oral sex underneath the mud. Which, hey. Uh, you know, if that's your thing, run with it. Go for it, I say. Uh, um, she is joined in her evil ways by none other than Longinus, who she calls Longinus. Which is kind of annoying. I could have sworn it was Longinus. Uh, if you're not familiar with Longinus or Longinus, we'll use them interchangeably throughout the episode. Uh, he's the guy who killed God. Well, he is... A, a, and I, I was actually looking this up. According to like a footnote in an apocryphal book of the Bible, this guy is finally named... And he is the one who wielded the sword, who stabbed... Spear. Or the spear, excuse me, the spear, who uh, stabbed Christ under the ribs to make sure he was dead after he had been yeah. crucified. Performed the killing move. Like, the, yeah. last, the last straw, basically. Yeah. And, and, and this was, like, a common practice with crucifixion. You stab them to make... Just either, in case. I, either give them mercy or just to make sure they're dead. And, in fact, that act has been dramatized in a lot of recent pop culture stuff. Longinus has become a figure in a lot of, like, comic books and TV shows. Yeah. In and, this uh, show... In, in The Passion of the Christ, yeah. he, he'd stab Christ and, like, Christ's blood sprayed in his eyes and he was, like, converted. And, the, and according to... Catholics, he's a saint as a result of this. Interesting. Well, according to Roar, uh, he has been cursed by God to live forever yeah. uh, while regretting everything he's done. And only the Spear of Longinus, which is... Uh, also uh, also known as the Spear of Destiny. It's, yeah. uh, uh, it, it's an, an actual Indiana Jones-type 
artifact that's probably out in the world somewhere. Yeah, it's it's something that is a plot point in a lot of comic books and, mm. and movies and things. Um, it supposedly gives you great power over the world and war and blah. And apparently the spear is the only thing that can kill him and he thinks it's in Ireland. So For he, some reason. For yeah. some reason. So he's here in Ireland as uh, Queen Diana's uh, paramour slash advisor and he, all he really wants is to die. Mm. Um, meanwhile... And, and he, oh, oh, but he also so he looks like a normal guy, but occasionally will like let his visage slip and turns into like a, a an ancient ghoul looking guy. He looks like Emperor Palpatine, more or less. That's what he is. Yeah. The, the the sort of devolved post uh, uh, Mace Windu fight, <laughs> gross Emperor Palpatine. Um, he looks all monster mash. So uh, Heath Ledger is joined on his adventures by a series of ragtag well, there's, scoundrels. There's a, a core of four of them. Yeah. In addition to Connor, who is the the leader, becomes king essentially after his father is killed. Yep. Uh, he's joined by Fergus. Mm-hmm. Played by John, uh, John St. Ryan, who's this big, tall, bald guy with a great mustache. He looks like Zardoz. He does. He's had this interesting career where he's in a bunch of interesting-sounding, like, low-budget action movies. Like Delta Force 3, The Killing Game, and, I love this title, The Assassinator. <laughs> <laughs> Is that somebody who assassinates assassins? I guess. And uh, he's probably best known or best recognized by a generation as the voice of King Arthur on the animated series Gargoyles. Uh, in America, anyway. In America. From, from what I understand, he's uh, he's actually a common appearance on like Irish and British TV. There you go. Um, also joining their fight is Catelyn, an ex-Roman slave who joins the the Celtic battle. She's played by Vera Farmiga. It's only her second credit. This mm. is before she got an Oscar nomination for Up in the Air, starred in Bates Motel and the Conjuring movies, and became a big big star. Um, and uh, we're going to run into her a couple more times as well. She was in Touching Evil and UC Undercover, which is not much to my chagrin, uh, like University of California Undercover. Oh. It's just Undercover, Undercover. UC, colon. It's like AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah, like we didn't get it. ET, extraterrestrial. Yeah. Why, why, why twice? I don't well, know. Once we'll do it. It's like an ATM machine. <laughs> get it right. Um, the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah, she plays an ex-slave. Uh, she also has, I, I'm going to say this right now. The worst hair I've ever seen in a television series. Uh, what are you talking about? You think ugly bangs are ugly? <laughs> I, she, it looks like... And then she has, like, a, a a ponytail, but it's, like, four hairs, and they're only on one side. It, it's, it's like it's, the hair and makeup people didn't like her for some reason, and I want to know what happened. I want to know what the story is. She, she has the kind of hair that certain middle-aged men try to grow to make it look like they're not going bald. You know, like, it's wispy on some parts and thick on others. I maybe... Yeah. With some Amazon warrior thing, where like you cut your bangs off so that they won't get in your in your way, because she uses she wields a bow and arrow a lot. But like maybe that was so. it, but they never really articulated it. She just looks tragic. It looks like she was in like <laughs> she looks like well, and, it's and like that also, suck cut from Wings World, where just they, they also like dress her in like the most horrible clothing. Yeah, like like where pants that are like has, half short shorts and half. Pants. Well, like one leg she, is down to her ankle, and the other leg is down to like halfway on her thigh. This was 1997. Do you remember the trend of like really huge, baggy women's pants sure. that were cut off like partway down the calf? Yeah, like these sort of like big bell bottoms, but the bells were just the entire pants. Sure. Yeah, she she's wearing that, but it's only half of it. 
And the other half is like snug fitting short on the, like that exposes her thigh on the other leg. She deserved an Emmy just for putting up with what they made her wear um, and and wear her hair as. Like that's now, that's my theory. It, it's not as nineties tastic as what they put Melissa George in, and we'll get to Melissa George. Oh, we'll get to Melissa George. <laughs> but Melissa George, just to skip ahead a little bit, Melissa George wears an outfit that's it's a leather vest that's like really tight around her top, but it reveals her midriff which was, you know, really hot in 1997, mm-hmm. like tight leather pants, fitted boots, and one of those navel piercings with a chain that goes around her waist. Like, just I knew, in case. I knew women who just dressed that way. Yeah. Like in 1997. That was just a look. You'd, you'd dress up like that and go to Lilith Fair. There's a, there's a lot of... This was not ancient Celtic. This is just modern fashion at the time. Good times. Uh, and then lastly, rounding out the main cast, there is Tully, played by Alonzo Greer. This is his only acting credit at all. Yep. But he was a production assistant on such films as Sister Act, Indecent Proposal, Sliver, and Adam's Family Values. So he, he, he was working. He was a prolific production assistant. He was a PA and, uh, and an actor. And, and he's kind of a nothing character. He's, he is... The black guy, like that's he's, he's kind the, of he's the token black that's, guy. That's really. that's that's all he's got to do. I, I got the impression that he was supposed to be maybe in a there's there's a magician who works with Connor and the pilot who then promptly vanishes. Mm. And I thought maybe Tully was going to be like the apprentice magician and that would be the job they gave him. But no, he's just sort of there. He he's, never has a subplot. He's like he's like the boy wonder. In one episode, he gets hurt and they have to take him out of the episode. Like, that's it? Yeah. That's all we've got? Like, it's really just a... a yeah. It's a sad role. Like, you got to assume they were going to do something. Well, I them. think they, they included a black man in with the Celts to show that there's sort of this group of... Varied different kinds of tribes that are coming together to go against the more homogenous evil white Romans. Essentially, there are several scenes where they have to dress in disguise, and throughout the series where they infiltrate Roman camps and they wear these completely ridiculous helmets that only cover their noses. Right, and you can tell. But I mean, Fergus has this big dumb mustache. Roman soldiers didn't weren't allowed to have mustaches, if I know my history. There typically weren't a lot of female Roman soldiers. And, so. and there weren't a lot of black Roman soldiers, so they would have stood out. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't quite play. Yeah. Um, all right, so that gives you basically the gist of it. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's, that's the premise of the show. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, we're uh, done. <laughs> now, you said the premise of the show is he has to trek around the island and recruit... All of the varied warring faction, like Celtic factions, into one gigantic tribe so they can take on Rome and expel them from Ireland. So the typical episode is they go to a faction, mm. the faction won't join unless blank, and then mm. the Romans get involved and they have to fight the Romans and at the end the faction goes, okay. I, I wish it were that cut and dry though, because there's so much more going on in this, like, so much more obfuscation and stupid plot distraction. It feels like they had a simple idea, and then they couldn't decide how to make it fun, Mm. so they kept adding weird shit to it. I mean, like, every other episode is going to be, like, a completely bizarre Mm. new take on what Roar is supposed to be. Let's start with the pilot. Mm. It's a big, epic pilot in which uh, Heath Ledger is the prince of his tribe, clan, whatever, uh, and but he's in love with the Roman king's daughter, played by Carrie Russell, uh, from Felicity and uh, uh, the Americans. Who, uh, who looks impossibly young. She's, she looks like she's porcelain. She looks like she's fake. She looks like she's a visual effect. She, she's actually older than uh, Heath Ledger. You would never think you, it. You couldn't get She just has very youthful features, and they make her look very youthful, and yeah. they light, and she has this 
mane of hair to rival that of the animated hair from Brave. And I think the animated hair from Brave was based on Kira Russell's hair from Velocity. That's, <laughs> that's my theory. But, like, she shows up, so, like, you know, there's this big wedding, and it's a wedding between tribes, and Heath Ledger absconds to be with the Roman uh, king's daughter, and Kira Russell shows up wearing a sign that says, I will die soon. <laughs> I will be the plot point that gets this so thing a sign going. on her back that says, murder me tragically, tee-hee-hee. Yeah. But and while, while there are finagling in the woods, Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fergus is passed out in the basement. <laughs> yeah, he's passed, he's passed out in the basement of the ground. Of the ground, <laughs> he's just like there's an <laughs> underground passage, and he's just passed out in it. And uh, the entire village is raised, and his whole family is killed. There was this. There was this uh, tendency that uh, Mel Brooks smartly made fun of in. Uh, Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights, uh, which is that every medieval movie had to open with a village being burned. Yeah. That's just how you open a movie set in the and, olden times. And the villagers got mad at the director of the film for <laughs> choosing that their village that time. Every time there's a Robin Hood movie. <laughs> Leave us alone, Mel Brooks. So the village gets raised. Everyone in Connor's family, except for Fergus, dies. Uh, and they decide to faff about for a bit while they decide what to do. Connor, like, immediately is like, grabs his sword and it's like, ah! And he, like, runs his horse into the ocean for no reason. And then a wizard just says, hey, 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 plot. Connor's just like, oh, shit, sorry. Oh, right, 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 we need a flat. So let me take you to this obviously fake outdoors set that we have. Mm. This, like, grotto that's going to be inside of a cave (laughs) that we're going to use for all of our photo shoots. And uh, I'll introduce you awkwardly to every member of the cast. Mm. And uh, then... It it uh, looks a lot like the cave from the Apple. You remember, like, the the cave where all the hippies lived and God took them down there? It looks looks like a leftover Land of the Lost set. Like, it's really cheap. Which it very well could have been for all. We know. Um, and uh, Connor's just like, well, I, I don't want to to save Ireland. I just want to be a shithead. Mm-hmm. And, then the, <laughs> and then the wizard takes takes Connor off to look at the ocean. And, and says, he's, use your superpowers, which we'll never refer to in the show ever again. But yeah. if you open your ears, you can hear the music of the universe. He's you like, can hear the roar of Ireland. Feel the stag. I feel it. And he hears the roar of Ireland. And that's never referred to ever again he doesn't ever do that again he go, does go out onto the cliff uh-huh. again to look majestically it. out at yeah. stuff uh diana lisa zane does it in one scene in a later episode mm-hmm. she doesn't hear the roar of ireland well she's she probably hears the roar of rome i suppose so yeah it's it's rome right now as well don't forget <laughs> that yes yeah, it's conquered by rome it's <laughs> <laughs> a roman state right now yeah um, so Diana in this episode, she is married to this like Roman general king, mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, he tries to kill Connor, but then his daughter throws himself in front of his sword and she dies. Um, sorry, Carrie Russell. Yeah. And you think for a while that this is going to be the dynamic that he's got this wife who's secretly controlling everything. He's going to be the bad guy. Longinus is going to be this, you know, this sort of worm tongue in the shadows, mm-hmm. p- pressing his fingers together repeatedly. Yes, going, yes. What what what? Maybe you should do this next and that sort of thing. Um, but the episode actually ends with Connor getting his shit together, rallying all of his troops, and killing that guy. Yep. Or rather, he's about to kill that guy when Lisa Zane rather smartly kills her husband for Connor and just says, "See, I'm on your side." And Connor's just like, "Oh shit, all right, fair enough." And then, <laughs> and then they leave. Now, so, but 
she establishes this, but in immediately in the next episode, they're antagonists again. Like they hate each other because she wants to encroach. Like she gets a little bit more resolute uh-huh. with with a little bit of Longinus urging. Well, she takes her husband's job. Yeah, you know That's she right. she becomes the queen. Yeah, and she decides to take it upon herself to conquer the remaining tribes of Ireland. And in the second episode, there, there's a few episodes when you do a medieval show that you know you're going to get to. Like and they just get to them right away because the first episode after the, the pilot is the gunpowder invention the, the invention of gunpowder yeah which they call the Atmos which I'm like just call it gunpowder or dynamite <laughs> or d- d- why why are you making shit up come on uh, well, someone's complaining still, right now that this is actually a historical thing I'm sure it is but <sighs> it the, sounds so fake if you're gonna have the gunpowder episode and you know weapons are evil and Longinus has like flash forwards to Oh, oh Persian my God. Gulf. We have to talk reason. about that in a minute. Like he has, he has some magic powers, and he can sort of intuit the future and sees what's going to happen with this gunpowder. So he wants it to happen because he just wants to set the world on fire and right. die. There's all of these. There's these big moments where like he's got the gunpowder and he starts seeing like stock footage of World War II explosions and the Persian Gulf explosions. Really portentous music in this montage, mm. and then the montage cuts to Longinus and he's looking off camera and he's after a long dramatic pause. He just says. Science. Science. That's it. No comment. Yeah. Just the word science. It's just weirdly anti-science. Uh, on the other side, the guy who invented this gunpowder has joined the Celts, but he runs afoul of bad guys, and then he ends up dying. After inventing <clears throat> the umbrella. No, the Chinese un- invented the umbrella. He invented, the, sure. um- he invented <laughs> the umbrella and obviously gave it to the Chinese. I see. Even though it had already been around for probably a millennia. He's very clever. Millennium. He's very clever. I suppose so. He also invented the time machine. Well, there's this, there's this thing, like, they have this, like, big book of his, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's his book of inventions, and here's, like, a speedboat that he was going to invent or some uh-huh. bullshit like that, but we can't read it, so we'll just throw it away. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, A, you can find someone to read that. B, clearly on his international travels, he stole a bunch of inventions. <laughs> yeah. The, his, that's, that's all there those, is that to wasn't it. His, those weren't his ideas. No, not at all. Uh, if you have a cheap medieval show... Mm-hmm. And make no mistake, this is cheap. They shot it in parks and it's, in like really cheap looking sets. It's relatively expensive for its time period, but mm. you put it up next to anything where they actually actually threw money up against it. Mm. Pretty cheap. It's no Rome, for instance. No, but it's it's better than like the sort of the it's better than the Saturday morning cartoon version together. This this was a prime time show. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it, it, m- m- le- less than Rome, more than the Mystic Knights of Tirnanog. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's is the- our standard. <laughs> Remember the Mystic Knights of Tirnanog? No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> Quit lying. Um, but, you know, if, if you have, like, so little to work with, you would think that the costume designers and the dramaturgists who are working on this show would try to make it as historically accurate as possible. They try. They do a lot of research as to mm-hmm. what was going on uh, in Ireland at the time. Oh, some of the, like, make reference to some historical characters, but still make it, you know, leave enough wiggle room that you can work in your fictions. They might try to work in more accurate costumes or talk mm-hmm. about weapons in a smart way. They don't do any of that. They use this the is, basic idea of history and then do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, the, the, this is about as accurate as, well, maybe not the Flintstones, but... Uh, it's about as accurate as Hercules' legendary journeys. I suppose so. Legendary journeys. Some of these things actually existed, but it, it didn't really feel like a smart show about history, which meant they all they had to go with was their stories and their characters. Yeah. And their silliness, 
and some supernatural stuff. There's this weird bit in this episode, which is called Projector, mm. because they invent a gun and they decide to call it a projector yeah, instead a, of a it's gun. Like a cannon. Um, but there's this weird subplot here where Longinus, at this point in the series, mm. hasn't decided how evil he is. And in fact, uh, he, he takes the gunpowder to help Diana conquer the Celts. Um, but at the same time, what he really wants to do is die and kind of redeem himself, because clearly God exists. Mm. Um, so he ends up betraying Diana, taking all the gunpowder, and he's just going to blow it all up. And uh-huh. he tries to blow himself up with it, and of course it doesn't work. Yeah. And he's really it, it, bummed. The, the last shot is him, like, covered in ash, like, in a Wile E. Coyote cartoon, just sort of yelling, Ah, I can't, I'm still not dead. Yeah. Uh, episode three is called The Chosen. And this is the one with the, the little boy druid. That's right. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, it looks like there's going to be a human sacrifice. But in <laughs> actuality, they're taking a little boy to become the leader of the druids. And, and, and uh, he has magic powers because he puts his hand down, I think it's on his knee, mm. and, a, and a bonfire just goes out immediately. Yeah, like so you do. He's got some magic powers. Magic exists. Uh, Connor and company uh, <laughs> end up having to escort the child to where he is going to be coronated uh, because there's a bunch of thieves and bandits and rough who are mm. trying to kill him. Meanwhile, Diana has decided to help him make his journey as well, uh, and she is going to try to corrupt the leader of the Druids and make him dependent on Rome and basically be this kind of creepy Bates Motel kind of mom to him. Well, it, it becomes clear that both Diana and Connor want to essentially kidnap this Druid boy, He's because he's in, in danger, mm. uh, and they want to be the ones to deliver him to the Druids so they can be the ones that have the Druids on their side in future fights. So they're both selfish bastards. They're both, yeah, they both have the exact same motivation, mm-hmm. and they're both going to the same place. So I always hate these, I hate movies and TV shows about bad guys and good guys who are racing to the same place and they're all right next to each other and they they need to bring the same artifact to the same place. It's like, well, what does it matter who has it then? You're all going to the same spot. Yeah, deal with it later. Yeah. <laughs> Problem solved. Like, well, they have it. Yeah, but we if we had it, we'd just be going to the same place anyway. So let's just follow them. Yeah. This episode so, is a whole lot of nothing. Well, it, it sets up this character, this young druid who shows up and becomes more important later. The young druid character is kind of interesting. I like some of the conversations they have along the way. But when they get there, it, like eight more stories suddenly begin. And it yeah. turns out the druids were corrupted and some of these agents were druids. Some of the druids are trying to kill him because yeah. if he takes power, then they have less power. And so all of, all of a sudden there's evil druids at the very end of the episode and it turns out these agents yeah. might have been druids hired by Rome and Romans had already yeah. infiltrated the druids. And, and they were killing the kid's dad, but then the mom shows up and she's just like, you want to be a druid? The kid's just like, I don't know, yes. <laughs> and you can stay with me, mom. And then she does. Mm-hmm. And then that's the episode. Uh-huh. That's where we're at, episode three. Mm-hmm. Episode four. Banshee. Now there are banshees. Uh-huh. So the episode begins when they go on a banshee hunt because someone's been screaming in the woods lately and occasionally people die. Because, so they decide to go on a banshee hunt. Because it's Irish. Yes. So they go off into the woods and like the, the people in this tribe that uh, uh, Connor is trying to bring over to the Confederation, which... Mm. Is a hell of a thing. This show feels kind of weirdly right-wing sometimes. It's anti-science. They decide to start a confederacy when they start a rebellion. <laughs> and then later on, though, their Christianity is going to get really weird. So well, it's kind of odd. This is AD 400. I, th- I think it, Christianity was just starting to take hold in Rome sure. at this point in history. But the show... Feels yeah. contemporarily weirdly right wing, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as it goes it, along. It, it is 
does glorify the military military organization in a way that I don't think it intended. Yeah, and I think it has some weird ideas about religion as well. Mm. But um, so they decide to go on a banshee hunt, and the people in this Celtic tribe they're trying to get to join the Confederacy are. Uh, they find some woman in the woods and like, we're going to kill her because she's probably a banshee. And Connor's like, well, what if she's not? Well, we're going to kill you because you're probably a banshee. <laughs> and he's just like, well, we're just going to go with her. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to hunt you. And Connor's just like, ugh. Fine. Turns out she's actually a banshee uh-huh. and she has foreseen Connor's death. And when she gets in the way of Connor's death, it sets a chain of events in motion because like destiny has gone out of whack. Yeah, oh, God, destiny. Uh- <laughs> they have to take her back to the land of the banshees which is more just like a village of ladies mm-hmm. and the land of the banshees is just like well you done fucked up mm-hmm. and she's just like ah uh, and then she dies that's the that's episode the <laughs> there's not a lot to it frankly episode five doyle's solution Connor and Fergus run a, run is, into a cult leader. This and this is the uh, Melissa George episode. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a cult leader. He very, very, very Star Trek. Um, this is this is uh, uh, not the Apple. What's his? I don't know what you're talking. What's about? his? There was an episode of Star Trek with this like hippie cult that moved on board the ship. Don't but uh, yeah, he has a, a hippie cult and a cult of children, and mm-hmm. he calls these children his children. And he's raising them as if they're his children, but he occasionally marries and bones some of them. Yeah, and, it's really and creepy and weird. And Connor takes him back to the to the grotto, uh, where uh, they finally realize, oh wait, they're creepy and weird. Meanwhile, Fergus discovers that one of the people in the cult is actually his long lost daughter. Yeah, played by Melissa George um, from L.A. Confidential, the pilot, and uh, baby Melissa George. Well, she was very young here. I know yeah. that they all look like babies to me. I'm I'm 40. These are like young, these are all little kids. young young little kids. To these me. are all so, teenagers just faffing about in a school so play I, that has I, way too much money. I see a 20 year old Heath Ledger. It's like oh little baby. He Heath does Ledger. look super freaking young. Like yeah. he's one of the people who actually did look like a child. Mm. Like he was just this well, baby faced kid who didn't know how to act yet. Uh, on on the videos, I think they're trying to sell like oh young Heath Ledger, like sort of that he's going to be the the beefsteak of the show, and it's all going to be about. Like watching him take his shirt off, but he's a he's a little kid. Yeah, he's like Wesley Crusher, who he's, got to I be mean, captain for no for no reason. Yeah, he's he's a good looking kid, but he's the idea is that he's young, not that he is like this heroic stud. Yeah, it's weird. And they never treat him like a stud. They treat him as like somebody who has you know romantic urgings. Yeah, but yeah, they they his, don't ever his whole story arc is that he's naive and, yeah, and, yeah. and inexperienced, and mm-hmm. he's gradually getting experience. But every once in a while, they try to treat him like a bad. So you're just like, no, none of that works. <laughs> none of that works at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they decide to kick all the hippies out of the grotto, but then the hippies send all of their kids out to murder everyone in their sleep, which is really kind of creepy and weird. <laughs> and then Fergus has to save his daughter, mm-hmm. and then she's just like, okay, I will call you dad, but I'm still going to leave. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I thought you were going to be a recurring character. And she's like, I'll be back later. And Fergus mm-hmm. is just like, yay! I'll be back in three or four more episodes. <laughs> Sit tight. All right. Uh, the, in order to identify her, though, like oh, so Fergus, Fergus has said that he he knows who his daughter is because he dropped the daughter as a baby. <laughs> and she has a scar. And she has a little ear. scar behind her ear. And so uh, Heath Ledger, being Heath Ledger, walks up to Melissa George and says, "Hey, can I blow in your ear?" Yeah. And she's like, "Well, sure, young Heath Ledger." And he kind of like paws at her a little bit and kisses her and she's like oh ooh ah and, he and actually Fergus looks, is watching this because Keith Ledger is doing this at his behest yeah and and, <laughs> and he's, he's like a little uncomfortable but he's really curious and it's actually this bizarre kind of 
really creepy kind of creepy scene. It's a super that, creepy scene. Like the kind of creepy you might find in Shakespeare. <laughs> Episode six, Red Boot. There's a Roman soldier mm. who is part of a like sort of a, a, a secret service important agents yeah. of the empire and he yeah he wants to move in and make sure that diana's doing her job correctly and mm-hmm. he's even like harsher and he's crucifying people yeah upside down on x's mm-hmm. like saint peter it's all messed up mm-hmm. um so a couple of things are going on in this episode that's happening he also has a um like a golem he has an elfman is what he has <laughs> Just the, one of the Elfmen. Well, it look, it look, he looks like some member of the Elfman clan yeah. that somehow escaped. Because he's got these those big wild eyes and this gigantic, like, the top of his head is shaved, but one of those big, oh golly, um, Bene Gesserit-looking things coming off of the back of his head from yeah. Dune. And there's these weird sequences where that guy is doing this horrible interpretive dance, and the guys, and the Roman guy is just like, see how good his dancing is? Oh, you just don't understand great art. <laughs> and he also tortures people, and he tortures Vera Farmiga by sticking a needle in her spine. Fine, which makes her go blinding blind. her. Yeah, like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the episode is actually the first Vera Farmiga centric episode. Yes, because we find out that she mm-hmm. is a Christian, and she yeah. has not told anyone in Connor's tribe because they might not trust Cri- her because that is the Roman religion. Uh, and and I. Th- Again, I think Christians might still be have been persecuted at this point, or mm. if Romans were practicing Christianity, I think Romans were practicing point. it by then. But regardless, right. uh, the show mm. decides that Romans are practicing it then, and that's the Roman religion, and that some people think she might not be trustworthy because she is a Christian. Christians mm. are, of course, being persecuted everywhere, uh, and it turns out that the plot is someone has found an important Christian document mm. that they have to get to, an, to a big tower full of Christian library stuff. That document is a gospel written by Christ. Yes! Kind of important. Kind of a big <laughs> fucking deal. They actually like tell her, before we know what it is, yeah. like the priest looks at it and says, this was actually worth you going blind. This is kind of the biggest deal ever. And yeah. I was like, sure. And then he says, no, no, it's, it's a letter written by Christ to his brother James. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> That's pretty heavy. That's a lot of <laughs> a lot of information in that sentence. Mm-hmm. And then they finally read the thing at the end after the uh, evil Roman touches it and gets and, and turns into a fireball. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, just touching the word of God if you're evil mm-hmm. makes you explode. Vera Farmiga reads it. It cures her blindness, by the way. Oh, her, well, of course. And I'm going to paraphrase the letter. Mm-hmm. Here is the gospel according to Jesus in a letter he wrote to his brother James. Mm-hmm. Dear James, how are you? I am fine. I <laughs> might not be around much longer. Don't forget I was Jesus, your brother, Jesus. Yeah, have a good summer. <laughs> like, it's basically just PS, like, I was Jesus. P.S. Don't forget to feed the dog. Yeah. Totally real. <laughs> dear, totally real guy. Dear Marquess. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely, like, it's just this obs- you think it's going to be like, I, I half expected it to be like, yes, it's a gospel according to Jesus. What is it? Shopping list. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, he was, he really, really liked flour. It's just a, it's a, it's a doodle for a chair he was working on. Mm. They're tall. Yeah. And they make tall tables. <laughs> it's the weirdest scene in Passion of the Christ, which is supposed to be like only based on the gospels. Mm. But like, there's this one scene where you see Jesus being a carpenter mm. and like his mom comes in. And it's like, Jesus, you beat this table too tall. It's such a tall table. And Jesus says, no, mother, for you see, I will make tall chairs. Uh, oh, Jesus, is there nothing you won't do? He invented the bar stool. Thank you, Jesus. Well done, Jesus. <laughs> Episode seven mm. kind of goes like kind of just hits 100 miles an hour. This really is where weird. This is where I think like 
this is the seventh episode, so we're near the end of the broadcast run of this show. And I'm not about halfway through it altogether. Yeah, so it feels like the showrunners, yeah, they felt like, you know what, we're probably dying on the vine here. Let's just pull out all the stops. So this is the Bard episode. So it may or not, not may or may not be true. It has a musical number. It has a lot of magical stuff. Yeah. Um, and it has the fate of Longinus. Fi- finally of. explained. Now, if if you didn't know who Longinus was, the show actually hadn't hasn't made that explicit. Like he did talk about interacting with Jesus and that he's you know talk talk to the guy and he's that like he's four hundred yeah. years old, but. It's not until this episode where we actually see that dramatized and it becomes like super explicit who he actually was and what the spear was, if you didn't know ahead right. of time. Um, so in this episode, Connor, uh, uh, Fergus, and Catelyn mm-hmm. uh, were trying to get another tribe to join them. The tribe humiliates them, and they chase them out of town, and they end up escaping. You forgot the prologue, because this is the one that's told by Fergus. Oh yeah, this is supposed to be a horror story told over a campfire. It's going to yeah. give you nightmares, kids. So, um, so we're not sure how fictional or true this one actually I, I, is. I have issues with that, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So that's the framing device. Fergus is telling kids this horror story. Mm-hmm. Um, they run away from these these this tribe of Celts, and they run basically to the cave Conan found at the beginning of Conan the Barbarian, but it's full <laughs> of Christ stuff and weird like samurai armor, mm-hmm. and they find the Spear of Longinus, and... Keith Ledger is like, ooh, dibs! Meanwhile, Fergus sings a weird song for no reason, and Keith Ledger grabs well, the spear. I think it's, we, we remember this as Celt. We need a Celtic hymn. Yeah, so Keith Ledger grabs the spear, and then immediately runs home, and all these, all the livestock has died, and this one little girl who is terribly 80-yard is, like, clutching her dead horse. Oh, my horse! My horse! His name was Warrior! This might be important later! Horse! Horse! Warrior! <laughs> and he's like, oh no! Horse! And he decides to get rid of the spear. And when he gets rid of the spear... You hear the, the, the narrator from Fishing with John? These are horses. So Heath Ledger gets rid of the spear, the horse comes back to life, and the girl's riding around, his name was Warrior! And I'm like, great, why was that imp- We know it's the horse! What are you doing? And Heath Ledger's just like, oh, well, I guess the spear wasn't evil, since when I got rid of it, good things happened. So I'm going to grab the spear again, and I'm going to use it to hypnotize all the clans into following me. And well, then I'm going to go gonna evil. He's not going to use it to hypnotize. He's going to use it to inspire. The uh, idea is, is he has... He has that's this, the idea. But there's this Lord of the Rings thing happening, whereas as he, as he holds the spear, he's... It's like the ring. He's getting corrupted. Well, it's not like he's getting corrupted. He, like, goes off to this tribe that chased him out of town before, mm. and he's holding the spear. And this is kind of cool shot where, like, someone's always referring reflected in the spear from up from off camera and he's the guy's just like oh yeah we won't uh we we won't join you he keeps looking at the spear side we won't how much do you want us to join you (laughs) and he's just like well Uh, no it's good well as a gesture uh, as a gesture of you joining me i think you should bow i'll never i'll bow (laughs) like it's really obviously like this magical control thing going on and there's this huge montage of heath ledger like aligning all the tribes together and then this feels like the series finale in a lot of ways doesn't it there's a couple of series finales in this show like it's like we're actually should be wrapping this up now but we're only halfway through the show halfway through the episode hell and then uh fergus begins to suspect that he's being corrupted by the spear when after a big meeting with everyone who who like now works for him and is now like his vassals or whatever Mm. and they all bow as they leave and he like just says hey maybe like in meetings just as a gesture, just to like everyone gets the right idea, maybe you should bow. And Fergus just like, well, now he's evil, and they decide <laughs> to stop him. Yeah, and so they do. And they then do. Um, they take the spear, and uh, he wants to give it to Longinus. Well, he wants to take it. He wants to take it back to like that cave. 
Mm. And Longinus is going to that cave to try to get the spear because he knows the spear is out now. Oh, didn't he arrange the meeting with Longinus? Or Something like that. I think he arranged a meet. Like he wanted to give it to Longinus because he knew that Longinus just wanted to kill him. I'm not exactly sure what he knew. It's, it all boils down to. I watched this one very late at night. <laughs> it all boils down to Heath Ledger and Longinus are fighting over the spear. Longinus literally just says, hey, just kill me. Mm. I'm the bad guy. You're the good guy. Our interests align right now. <laughs> and Heath Ledger's just like, no, I won't kill you because I'm dumb. And then he goes <laughs> off to a cliff and he throws the spear into heaven, mm-hmm. which works. Yep. And then that's the episode. And Fergus just says, now, wasn't that scary, kids? And the kids were just like, yeah, um, that like happened this week. <laughs> because that's the timeline. You're not like an old man telling a bunch of kids mm. this story. So we either know that that's bullshit or we were just here for that. So I don't know. The the, the effort of the showrunners here was clearly to instill some sort of ancient bardic tradition into this show that hadn't had it before. Yeah. So they're trying to enter the realm of the legend, the legendary, trying to turn these characters into larger-than-life things and tell their stories the way stories were passed around at the time. As epic poems, or as you know, these these big uh, so- these family sagas, mm. like the Icelandic sagas, and it doesn't really work because this is the only episode where they do that, and they never really do anything that feels kind of legendary in other episodes. In fact, they go out of their way to make them kind of muddy and ordinary in all the other episodes. Mostly, yeah. so this is counter to the tone of the show. It is. It is, however, important though, and I don't think I, when you say like maybe there's some mm-hmm. plausible deniability about this episode, but I think because this is actually an important turning point in Longinus as a character, mm-hmm. because before he was behind the scenes and a manipulator and a schemer, and all he wanted was to die. Now that he no longer has the spear now that that's no longer possible he says screw it i'm the bad guy now mm. i'm doomed like, to this i'm gonna take he, control and be a evil pretty, pretty much says it out loud yeah so as in uh, as episodes go on he starts taking control away from diana mm. and actually becoming it becomes a really creepy relationship they have together where he's like really weirdly mm. verbally and physically abusive to her and like does mm. like terrible things to her constantly and she like learns humility and it sends her on an arc where maybe she's going to team up with Connor by the end which is I guess satisfying mm. dramatically but it just takes on a weird vibe is it the next episode where she's dra- dragging her trunk all over the woods no we have some time for that oh, okay <laughs> uh, the next episode is the eternal in which the father oh, the yeah, little yeah. the little druid kid who's now in charge of the druids tells <laughs> Connor he's got to get married now and Connor is mm. turns out Connor is going to have to marry Fergus's daughter um, in a what? naked ceremony that Fergus immediately ruins. And Lizzie Joe just like, Dad, why did you ruin my naked fuck ceremony? <laughs> and Dad's just like, because no, no, no druid naked fuck ceremonies for my daughter. I this is my religion. This is what I'm into. And Dad's just like, this is a weird episode. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right, guy. Come on, we have the fuck tree all ready to go. <laughs> And uh, it's, it, but it's okay because they they did all that flirting before, and they're both young and attractive. Yeah. That we kind of buy that they they hook up anyway. I buy that they hook up. There's this weird thing where in, like in you're a, not in a druidic fuck tree. There's this weird thing where like I'm not sure who Heath Ledger's love interest is supposed to be in this show because well, he's. I, I admire that it's never Vera Farmiga. Pretty much. 
much. They like toy with it a little they're bit. They're good friends, and they ad- I think they admit once that they find each other kind of attractive, but they never ever ever flirt with like having an actual romance. There's an episode later on where they're talking about his mm. relationship with Melissa George, and Drew from me gets like, you know, you could have told me I'm happy for you. I really like her. Like, yeah. there's no chemistry. <laughs> I think they probably wanted it to go there, and then they realize that Vera Farmiga and Heath Ledger have no chemistry, and Not they're just going to be cool. They're just going to be friends, and I mm. like that. That is good. Mm. Uh, but there's a couple other people he meets sort of randomly, and you're never sure there, who there was, he's supposed the, to... There was not Dina Meyer, who we skipped over in, in a previous episode. Yeah, she's I think the leader she... of a Celtic tribe that he has to fight... In yeah. order to to win their their loyalty, and sh- she looks almost exactly like Dina Meyer. I assumed she was Dina Meyer, and she she's got the same hair, she's got the same physique, she yeah. has the same attitude. She's not as good an actress. She has a bare midriff <laughs> with two belts around her naked waist, holding mm. literally nothing, nothing up. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching this and like, why? the belts and and michelle my wife was like uh, maybe in case she decides to wear a shirt i got, you know she has a propensity for harakiri and those are to protect her to, <laughs> to remind her is like oh, oh i think i'll do oh wait right 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 belt not no not harakiri during that fight with not dina meyer mm-hmm. uh vera yells something very odd it's just an odd line <laughs> and she yells at Heath Ledger, give it to her from the heart and i'm like what <laughs> I don't know. I don't and think he, that means what you think it does, Vera. And he opens his vest, and a lion jumps out. <laughs> and he, he hears the roar of Ireland again. At the end of this episode, I'm honestly not sure whether or not Heath Ledger married Melissa George. He didn't. Okay. Like they, they. The idea was they were floating toward each other romantically and trying to figure out if they wanted to get married, but the, the ceremony never took place. It was supposed to be a marriage of convenience, though. It was supposed to be a marriage to, to sort of bring unite the, the, the Druids, Druids and, and the, the clans. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's still a good idea. Uh-huh. Um, is this the episode where, uh, uh, oh, is this the episode where the father dies? Is that now or is that later? No, I think that's later. Okay. Okay. Well, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no, the uh, father shows up again. So, uh, yeah, okay. I think. The next episode. Now, there is. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. The next episode no, is this Cash. Was, this was the last one that aired, by the way. Oh, yeah. Now, after, after this. And they, they yeah. waited. Fox waited three years because they still had the store five additional episodes. So they waited three years and then aired, like, the final couple episodes of Roar. Don't know why. Um, it aired. The evidently, there was. The series aired internationally. Yeah. Evidently, there was enough interest in Roar, however, that with simultaneously with the release of these first eight episodes in the interim there were two novelizations yeah which were clearly like this is not like this doesn't break our rule where it continued via novels it's clearly they were in production or they were the plan yeah. was to release them so there's one it's, it's like the star trek novels or yeah. the buffy the vampire slayer novels they were just sort of like tie-in products apparently there's one where connor finds the holy grail that's all i know about it like that's it uh, the next spirit epi- of longinus wasn't enough. Holy Grail. The next episode is called Tash, and mm. this one is about how this Vir- is the uh, evil ghost twin episode. Yeah, Vera Farmiga gets possessed by the ghost of her dead younger sister, who was sold into sexual slavery to, to lepers. A leper, yeah, yeah. Um, now, <laughs> okay, so there's a flashback. We see them both as kids. The leper says, "Yes, I went to the one with the clear skin," and like there's oatmeal dripping down his face. It's just awful. I think he even has, like, monster claws. It's un- I think he yeah. does, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he grabs the sisters, like, yes, I'm going to have sexual slavery with you, Hugh. And 
I don't know why I also has a lateral lisp now. <laughs> but uh, Vera Farmiga, thinking quickly, grabs a knife and cuts her skin. To ruin her. To ruin herself yeah. so she doesn't have to go. Her sister, however, still has nice skin. She's taken away by the lepers. And yeah. she has my... assumed her whole life that the sister was infected and died of leprosy. Mm-hmm. Turns out maybe that's not the case. I will say this, though. This is why, you know, like when you're on an airplane, you got to put the oxygen mask over yourself. Mm. And uh, you got to put the oxygen mask over yourself and then put it over the kit. Mm. Um, you, she forgot to cut her sister. Yeah, cut your sister first and <laughs> then cut yourself. Yeah, exactly. You got to like, mm, what are you doing? Mm. Um, so she gets possessed and they have to find a way to like shove the demon out of her and they have to find ancient scrolls. Mm. Um Meanwhile, she's just behaving all wicked, evil. It's 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 an exorcist knockoff. And, the, whole and, thing. and it turns out the twist is that she she can't be exorcised. She just has to deal with it, and mm-hmm. they have to sort of like come to peace with the ghost of her dead sister, which is actually a pretty good message. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vera Farmiga gets to overact, which is fun. It's yeah the the second episode where Vera Farmiga is the central character. There aren't enough of them, honestly. She's really, like, obviously she's a really talented actor. I, I she's was hoping young... we'd learn more about Tully. We've had Fergus, we've had Connor, and we've Tully had... Tully never yeah, has Tully. an episode. She's just there. Just there. It's so yeah. sad. Like, you want one episode, just like, what? what's up with you? Shut up, Tully. <laughs> hey, what if we shut up, Tully? The next episode is the one where Tully gets written out of it within a scene. It's called <laughs> they, Traps. They, they land on Booby Trap Island. <laughs> And Tully steps in a booby trap and gets all bloodied. And Vera Farmiga says, well, uh, we'll leave the episode. You guys stay in the episode and figure out what these booby traps are all about. And they say, fine. And, they, and it turns out there's a tribe there trying to fend off invading Romans with booby traps. Well, actually, that's what they say they're doing. When in actuality, they're going to sell booby traps to the Romans. Yeah. And in order to prove well, that the booby traps work. That was the twist. <laughs> in order to prove that the booby traps work, they hunt Fergus and Connor in an island full of booby traps. Which is a fun idea. But it's another one of those episodes where any show that goes on long enough will hit the the most dangerous game episode more or less if, you <laughs> yeah, haven't, or less. if you've never seen the most dangerous game it's, it's or read, the, read story, the story there's a short story from the early 20th century mm. which was basically the first noteworthy example of person hunting humans for sport mm. which is now one of the great genre tropes and you've seen this in a lot of different movies including the most dangerous game which is an incredible motion picture um also everything from hard target to, to even the Hunger Games, to Battle Royale, yeah. like it's there's it's it been done a million times. This episode of Batman the Animated Series like this, it's been done a million million times. And the reason why it's done a million times is because it's always cool, <laughs> like it always works. And this is actually like a pretty fun episode. They run into like crazy guys in the woods and know I where like, the traps are. There, and yeah, there's a guy living in the tunnels who's gone a little bit nutty. He and thinks he knows he's a tree. To, yeah, he knows how to escape the the traps. And yeah, it's it, it works fine enough. Yeah, it's diverting. Uh, when you're sort of stuck in a kind of bland genre show like this, just to steal. Just steal because you know it works. Have the Seven Samurai episode. Have the, the Possession episode. You know, just go with what you know has worked already. It won't be an original show. It won't even be a great show. But it at least will be watchable. I was so bored throughout so much of Roar. You'd think because it would be exciting. There's not a lot of life to it. There's not a lot of humor. There's not a lot of wit. There's not a lot of history or intellect to it. It this feels, feels like a really half, rote. It feels like a half hour Saturday morning TV show that mm. got expanded to an hour and treated like it was prime time. Yeah. Like it's a half hour Saturday morning Land of the Lost type show. Mm. This would be fine, I think. But like it just it doesn't have enough material. It doesn't or have enough, enough character. Uh, well, it doesn't know what its tone is supposed to be. It, it's clearly 
really going for something really kind of heady and serious along the lines of Braveheart. But they don't have the budget to do something like that. They can't stage sieges. And they've, and they've filled they their cast have... out with, like, teenagers who, some of them are charismatic, but they can't really act. I'm going to say mm. this right now. Heath Ledger ended up becoming one of the best actors of his generation. He wasn't there yet. Well, there was nothing for him to work with. Yeah. He, he, he had what, he had Harry Kim syndrome, mm. where his only character trait was that he was young. And when you're young, what other character traits do you have? Okay, you're naive. You want to prove yourself. But the character is going to have to change and grow up at some point. Right. They're going to be not young eventually. What is Harry Kim when he's old? He is nothing. <laughs> the next episode yeah. is Daybreak. Uh, Connor, the vampire, no, not the now vampire. Connor episode. discovers the bones of his family. He buys them back from an evil merchant, <laughs> and he's going to bury them in his father's hometown. And he meets some of his father's old friends. But it turns out that Longinus has a deal in place with the people in this town because he knew Connor would show up eventually. Yeah. And um, Longinus is going to kill everyone in the town because they let Connor come in. It's kind of weirdly elaborate for no reason. The point is, Longinus is going to kill everyone in the town. Everyone in the town blames Connor. Connor and Fergus stay behind to try to build traps and fight them all off. Meanwhile, Diana tries to break free of Longinus and go back to Rome, but Longinus refuses to let anyone help her. So this is the one that's mostly... Just Lisa Zane in the woods, dragging a giant trunk of stuff. Remember in Spaceballs, where they were risk rescuing the princess, and she said she would can't. She's like the spoiled rich brat, and she can't leave without her matched luggage. Yeah. So they're dragging these like huge cases and bags around the desert, and it turns out one of them has this gigantic hair dryer. That's all yeah. that's in it. This is this is that, but it's only Daphne Zuniga. Like, it's, yeah, it. it's ju- and but watching Lisa Zane drag that trunk around the woods, bitching about how horrible Ireland is, <laughs> is probably my favorite thing about this show. I'm gonna say this right now. My favorite thing about this show is Lisa Zane. Uh, yeah, Lisa Zane. She is, know, she's bringing what the show obviously needs, which is a lot of a lot of charisma, a, a lot of charisma, a lot of character, and a lot of humor, and a, a lot, lot of humor. a lot of lightness, and frankly, a little bit of not just levity, but kind of. Uh, I don't want to keep on hammering on the word silliness, but it needs to be a little bit more ridiculous. Mm. It needs to go for a tone a little bit more cartoony well, like Hercules or Xena. And, I, and here's the thing. By just sort of embracing all that, it gives her character so much more flavor. And she actually is the only character in the mm. entire series who actually has an arc I'm kind of interested in. Because she's obviously evil, or at the very least incredibly selfish. Mm. But at the same takes time, pleasure in it. And takes pleasure in it. But at the same time, what we do find out about her is that she's a self-made woman. She started out as a prostitute and worked her way up to this. Mm. She is a woman in a man's world doing the best she can in a history and a time and a culture that did not let her do that. And Mm. look what all she's accomplished. And you have to kind of respect her for it. So she has this sort of, I'll do anything if it's the right time to do it. And you know that there's going to come a time when she might actually do the right thing for the right reason just because it was the right time to do that. Mm. She's got an arc. I'm actually interested in where she's going to go. Um, so let's just, uh, go to the next episode because let's surprise. They beat the bad guys. Big surprise. The next episode is called the cage. Mm. A lot of things going on in this episode. This is another well, one that feels like a series finale. Melissa George comes back. Yep. And they have like a proper romance. Uh, Con- she and Connor have yeah. a proper romance. Yeah. Um, Fergus um, is, is, we have to meet Fergus, um, uh, the, her mother. Yeah, Molly's Fer- mother. Who is Fergus's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Who, as she has moved on to a new man, mm-hmm. he, however, is an agent for the Romans. Who also, an agent for the Romans, who, by the way, looks 19. 
Yeah, he's a young. She's married a younger man, a much younger man. Like it's mm. kind of this interesting dynamic where she, like he, she looks about. It feels Melissa like Melissa George's actually, it, which is fine. But like it feels like she's like the character was written to be Fergus's age, but they just got a young actor because why not? Mm. And they none of the dialogue actually reflects his actual age or experience. So like he's always feels like he's play acting as his dad. Mm. Um, well, whatever. Anyway, well, I, I think it's kind of nice that we have the sort of age inappropriate romance where the woman is the older older uh, party. I don't it's, even think it's inappropriate. Yeah. I, it's kind of nice that there's that age discrepancy and it's not commented on. I yeah, agree with yeah. that. It's just, it's noteworthy. Mm. It's sort of like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Weird. Um, so, Meanwhile, Connor, sorry, meanwhile. Well, hold on. Connor and Molly are having this romance. Fergus finds out about it, like it's official, and he gets like insanely jealous. Um, and that's going to lead to, it leads to this friction between Connor and, and Fergus. Um, also, there's a musical number in which yeah. everyone starts he's building this big tower or something like that, mm-hmm. and they all stop to sing forever. They sing the whole number. Yeah. Blow high, blow low, a whale and we will go. And then a rope we'll breaks in Vera Farmiga and it's like, like, oh, my neck! Song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the musical number, this like really lighthearted musical number, just this sort of, it's almost like a sea shanty. Yeah. Uh, is is interrupted by Vera Farmiga almost getting killed. Yeah. So it turns for, out for no reason. Like the, it's it, not portent or anything. It's not. It's not. It's not a. It's there's no scheme. It's yeah. just sort of bad timing. Um. So Connor and Molly are finally going to like consummate their love. Uh. The Fergus's wife's new husband turns out he's actually working for Longinus and he's mm-hmm. evil and he's going to scheme to get turn Connor and Fergus against each other. So he's pushing them to be more and more angry at each other. And then Fergus tries to stop Connor and Molly from fucking. And then Connor stabs him and kills him. And you're watching this. I'm just like, well, this was all a ruse. Come next to the, the and fortunately they don't milk it much longer than that. And after the commercial break, they're having Fergus's funeral and Connor's there with Fergus. And he was like, well, this was all a ruse. Mm-hmm. And there's this yeah. actually kind of funny subplot where Vera Farmiga's like, "Why didn't you tell me?" Yeah, yeah. And he's and he's just like, "Why? Well, we, we had to make sure you knew it was real." I can lie. And then <laughs> I'm they, a good enough actress. And then they don't tell her the next phase of the plan either. And you get the impression they're only doing it because they think it's funny. <laughs> like they're just, <laughs> they're just being, playing a prank. They're just playing a prank on her. And she's just like, "Tell me things." But we haven't mentioned the cage yet. Yeah. Well, the cage is the title of the episode. Mm. Diana has built a, a very elaborate, like completely it's an iron, essentially an iron maiden without the spikes in it. Though. Yeah, and like she's built this incredibly elaborate cage, and it's gonna, it's it's there supposedly because she's gonna put Connor in the cage, and he's gonna become this plaything for Longinus. Mm. Longinus is like, ha, 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 how gloriously evil! She in t- order to test it, he puts Diana in the cage mm. for like a day because he's really fucking mm. far gone now. There's a. And there's some implication that the cage might be like magic somehow. Maybe. Like you can never unlock it, or once it's locked, it can never be unlocked. I think it's just supposed to be that well made. I think it's supposed to be that well. I wasn't sure if there was some sort of magical quality to this cage, but um, it's evidently this new piece of technology that is unbeatable. Science, science. <laughs> but it turns out that just when everything is looking like it's going to go horribly, and Connor is going to be killed by Longinus, Diana shoves Longinus in the cage, and they shove the cage into the ocean. And Longinus is out of the show. And then and then, and then, a Roman general shows up and is like, I'm just here to check out and make sure everything is going okay. What's going on, Diana? Well, I just conquered the Celts. And Connor's just like, she sure did. And everyone's like, great. And the next episode starts with a Celt party. Okay. 
this should have been the last episode of the show because it's actually mm. a somewhat satisfying ending. Longinus gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Diana grows a little bit. We're off of like a new status quo. Anything can happen. But instead, right. there's one more episode. Uh-huh. It starts off with Diana throwing an orgy. Yeah. Like a huge fuck off orgy with all of the Celts all the and Celts everything. Are, uh, like she walks up to a guy and like sort of like eyeballs like say, see those two chicks. You should go. You should go bone those two chicks. And all the chicks are and just the, like the you should like, bone us. Chicks like yeah, come over here. Well, bone, bone yeah. us these two chicks. Everyone's like, shit. Is this is what Rome was all about. Why are we fighting this? This is great. Thanks, Diana. Uh, well, until like at, at the orgy, a guy dr- stands up drunk and says, "Hey, wait a minute." You murdered all of us. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. That was a long time ago. That was so, yesterday. That was like three weeks ago, dude. You killed my my family. And like the ones I still remember. And he's evil. And we find out how evil he is later. But he's making a valid point right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, you had this whole subplot with Connor. We don't know you. All we know is that you killed our whole family. Dan is just like, ugh. Which is actually a funny place to go, but like uh, when it's the when it's the last episode of the show and you're introducing all these new elements, it's frustrating. Meanwhile, Connor and Fergus are late to the orgy. <laughs> I hope we can make the orgy on time. Oh no, a pit! They fall. They, they well, or they they find a pit. They find a pit with like, with a guy in a stupid costume at the bottom, and the guy's just like, "You gotta help me out! I'm a guy in a stupid costume!" And they're just like, "All right!" And then they help well, him out, but now they're stuck at the bottom. Of hey, the maybe pit. you can join us at the orgy. And then the guy, and this makes no sense whatsoever. The for a couple of reasons, only one of which is obvious <laughs> off the bat. Uh, the guy just said, and then the guy's like, okay, I'm out of the pit. And like, well, now you got to let us out of the pit. And the guy's just like, no, I don't. But if you want to get out of the pit, you just got to kiss that slab of clay I could have done at any time. Mm. And they're like, what? And then Connor's like, well, fuck it. I'm naive. That's my character trait. I'm going to kiss this giant slab of clay. And he and, kisses the slab of clay. And the clay comes to life, and it is a pretty lady. Yeah, they, there's this huge geyser that shoots them out of the pit for no reason. Mm. And then there's this lady covered in clay, which is this this show's fetish, I guess. <laughs> let's, let's clay up This is the women. weird yeah. fetishy episode where it's like every other scene, it's like someone else's fetish. You got the mm. Roman Bacchanalia. Mm. You got the naked lady covered in clay. Later on, we're going to have Amazon princesses and chains. Oh. Male bikinis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like, pick a thing. And turns out that she is now completely in love with Connor. At first, I thought we were going to find out she was literally the statue from, big, from the Big Malian legend. Oh, there you I go. I thought that's what where we were going with this, but it, it turns it, out she's, she's a, a fire sprite. She's a fire sprite. She, well, when she first comes out, she doesn't, she can't speak really, and they nickname her Bridget. Which is uh, Fergus's ex wife's name. Mm. Weird. Weird. <laughs> Fergus is very like, you know, we, you got to cover yourself up, lass. You know, we're, we're good men, but we can't promise everybody else. And sure enough, they take her to the orgy. <laughs> it was a great idea. We have to cover you up and then take you to an orgy. Yeah, just, you know, we got to make sure no nothing nothing untoward happens to you. Come with us to this orgy. No, no you're you're into eightsomes, right? Because we're going to... That's only eightsomes. That's the theme of the, the theme of our orgy. It's the eightsome orgy prom. So she shows up at the orgy, and then the asshole who made very valid points about Diana just says, Hey, I would like to sex her. No. And Connor and Fergus are like, well, no. no she, she's, she's a clay lady. She's, she's nude at this. She probably want to like Look, this not is her, do that. This is first time here. She's just looking around. Yeah, you're allowed to just ne- watch the first time, time right? <laughs> and the guy is very insistent, and he flat out says, I, "My clan will not join in this massive Celtic Roman secret alliance mm. unless you give her to me as a sex slave." And Diana's just like, "Okay." And Connor's <laughs> just like, "No." And Diana's like, "Yeah." Yeah. And Connor's yeah. like, "No." And then they run off with her, and Diana's trying to get her back. And um, <laughs> this is the plot. I wish that that was the actual dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. No, 
No, give her. It's all right. Sex her up. No, <laughs> can't do that. Um, they find the old like the 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 weird magician guy who is at the bottom mm. of a volcano with a whole tribe of bikini ladies, mm. and he's just like they're fire sprites, and if you awaken them, they'll do they'll be whatever you want them to be. And Connor's just like, but they're real people, and they should have their own free will and stuff, which actually gives them all the idea that they should have free will. And you find out that they later committed suicide off camera <laughs> because they didn't want to be his slaves anymore. Uh-huh. And so. The fire sprite runs around the whole fucking like village, setting things on fire, and then they finally capture her again, and they're gonna give her to the bad guy. But it turns out it was Melissa George the whole time, and they hit that guy on the head, and then the fire sprite goes oh, away. The end. The end. And that's the end of Roar. <laughs> that's the last episode of Roar. What a satisfying conclusion. But we had to do the fire sprite orgy episode. I'm and clearly this was made in production order. Like they had this big finale, and this was the one they followed it with. Because oh, yeah, because it, it, it follows the next. Yeah. Part. It, it makes no sense out of order. Like it mm-hmm. has to be. I assume they thought they were going to have more episodes because this is not yeah. a season finale. There's well, no, no universe is this a season finale. Th- they were probably they probably knew they were going to be canceled maybe during the production of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like they thought they were just going to keep on going because eight episodes were airing at that point mm-hmm. when they're they're still in production. And then they pulled the plug on it. They still had these ones in the pipeline. They just had to finish the one they had and just bow out. Probably that's that's all yeah. there was to it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> fucking roar. Okay, so if roar had lasted one hundred episodes, oh golly, can you imagine? I, I would hope that it would take a more historical bent. Yeah. Um, I understand. You know, this is AD four hundred, and the Romans are there, and I, I would think that there'd be an episode where they go to Rome or they start traveling around Europe, and mm. we get to sort of. Well, that was the first episode. A, in the first episode, Connor says he wants to travel. He doesn't yeah, want to be so, stuck in Ireland. Uh, you know, he goes to Britain or Goth or the other like ancient Roman or America. Lands. Fuck it, go nuts. Why not? Yeah, he gets kidnapped by Vikings, <laughs> which was also an Asterix comic, by hey, the way. Of course it was. They, they get in a fishing ship. They hit bad winds. They float all the way across the. Atlantic and they land in the New World, and there's a lot of racist Indian humor. Of that, there is. Yeah, I, I assumed that yeah, would be yeah. the case. Um, yeah, Roar. Here's what Roar needed: more characters who were clearly defined and had a reason to be there. Tully needed something to do. Mm. Vera Farmiga needed more of an arc, other than she's the cool lady. Yeah. Um, it, what it needed was if you're going to stick with a core of characters, you have four main good guys mm. and like two main bad guys. Or at least very one, like, supervillain. And if you're going to keep on going back to these same characters, first of all, you need to give a more concrete reason why these people haven't murdered each other. Yeah. They're constantly running into each other. You can... You're Diana, the Dracula Diana the series can, yeah, syndrome. Diana could kill Connor at any point. Only one point late in the series does she say he's more powerful as a martyr. That needs to be, like, a guiding principle. No, it should have been that, right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. she cannot murder this guy. It, you know, it'd be inconvenient. He'd be more inconvenient as a martyr. Yeah. So... You need to establish that relationship earlier on, and you need to have it be a lot more intense. You need to be there. Needs to be a lot more uh, subterfuge. Uh, there needs to be a lot more violence. I think there needs to be a lot more death in a show like this. If you're not going to go that way, if it's going to be about building an army and having it be about sort of friendship and coming together and unity, you need it to have a much lighter tone. There needs to be a lot less death, and the relationship needs to be a lot more playfully antagonistic in a cartoony kind of way mm-hmm. and it needs to be a lot more humorous a show i think it needs to be i think they need to double down on the magic because i think anytime they just do like mm. some normal war shit uh uh-huh. the traps was kind of fun because that was fanciful but mostly 
it's just kind of generic and dumb. Mm-hmm. Like w- when they just go full magic, at the very least, it has a sort of a camp value. Yeah. Like I think yeah. what they needed was, especially if you're going to have this bit at the end where Diana is technically ruling Ireland, but actually she's got an uneasy alliance with Connor, and they're sort of like they're at odds with each other, and he's noble and she's mm-hmm. duplicitous, and it's going to be an uneasy alliance. Mm-hmm. You need to give someone to uneasily ally against. So I think in like a future season, stop that. Sorry. I think in a future season, you need to introduce, like, you know, you had Longinus, a great historical myth figure. Mm-hmm. Introduce another one that they can be totally against. Yeah. You know, like so, like uh, uh, um, someone from the Mabinogian or something, one of the great giants <laughs> or ogres or something like that. Something, some mm-hmm. big outside force that they can team up against that will force them to interact and be at odds with one another. Because that's the thing with our heroes there's no conflict between them. Mm. Anytime they do, it's so forced, they have to make it a plot point that, haha, there was no conflict. There's no, like, there's no moonlighting or X-Files kind of give and take between the good guys mm. where they're, they approach things differently. You actually, like, Diana and Connor together, that's fun. <laughs> Diana and Vera Farmiga together, that's fun. Diana and anyone together, that's fun. Can we make this about Diana? Can we just call <laughs> the show Diana? Because that's a good show, mm. and I'm entertained by it. And and it's also a comedy show. Because At least more it's, it's, comedic, about, it's yeah. about this spoiled brat who constantly has to like learn small lessons to become a better ruler of Ireland. Meanwhile, these like Mel Brooks could have directed something like that. Oh, he's a spoiled brat ruler who has to deal Madeline with those, Con- Madeline those, Con- yeah, from the history those, of the world. Done. Those pesky Celts that are always barging in with their weird ways and their strange Irish customs. And if it was an Irish show, you know, the Irish team could make fun of... I'm it's picturing, not an Irish I'm show, unfortunately. It's an American show. I'm picturing but, uh, Heath Ledger as, like, Dennis the Menace. Hey, Mrs. Roman! <laughs> uh, the Celts are here! Uh. What, what happened to the door? They they use druid magic. It's on the other side now. We have to turn the entire wall, and then they do it, and they just put it back again. Jerks. Was Roar canceled too soon? No. Yeah, I they had their I chance. I don't need more Roar. They had plenty of chances to prove themselves. They came close occasionally, but they never made it. They, they have good people in the cast. Mm. The production value was okay. It still looks kind of fake, but they clearly had some money. Mm. Um, and yeah, they had every opportunity in the world to define the show and give it some reason to exist. And they they had 13 fucking episodes. I know only eight air, but they had 13 fucking episodes to find it, and they did not. They didn't. They could not figure it out. Um, yeah, they had their yeah, chance, they, they and they tr- blew it. They tried out a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Nothing really took. Some yeah. things were promising for half an episode, and they just abandoned it. They're... You need to find your focus by like episode four, and yeah. they, they couldn't do it. In six 13. at the latest. Yeah, six at the very latest. Yeah, but and hopefully you figured out, you've worked out all the kinks in your premise mm-hmm. and your cast, and figured everyone's niche and what everything, how how the show, what's the show going to be like? And by episode thirteen, they were still just throwing shit at a wall to see mm-hmm. what stuck. It's a shame, actually, because like you know, it's Heath Ledger he ended up being in Brokeback Mountain and winning an Oscar for The Dark Knight posthumously, mm-hmm. and died way too young, right as everyone's starting to appreciate how amazing an actor he could be. And you want to like look back in his career and find these like little gems. And yeah. this is yeah. a weird footnote. This is not a gem. It's a weird footnote because this is not him bringing his A game. Right. Uh, I don't if, know if, if you had wanna... a game yet. If you want to see Heath Ledger doing something really similar to this, like a play a, a roman- romantic, strong uh, period piece, mm. see the Casanova movie he was in. Oh, yeah? Where he played Giacomo Casanova. Well, I actually really like A Knight's Tale. I know it's a silly movie, but uh, that movie knows it's silly, mm. and he just gets to be charming as fuck. I'm guessing... I, I, I buy him in that movie. That movie's fun. I'm wondering if he thought that's what 
roar needed. And so he decided when he went on to the production of A Knight's Tale to say, you know what? If we're going to do this, make it a little broader. Make it fun. Make make it, it, let's yeah. have a good time with this. And so let's not, like, have as many anachronisms as we possibly can, including the Nike logo, for God's sake. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's weird. I like that movie, but that movie's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But right. I, I remember when, when Casanova came out, it was playing in the same two-screen theater as Brokeback Mountain. That was a great double feature, kind of seeing the extremes of Heath Ledger. All right, so that is it for uh, Roar on Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you're a member of our Patreon page... Oops. I think mm. I might have bumped the microphone there. Uh, if you're a member of our uh, Patreon, mm-hmm. if you subscribe on Patreon, uh, you have an opportunity to vote for an episode of the show every month. But in January, we're saying a special thank you to everyone mm-hmm. uh, by by making every single episode of the show in the month of January a poll. Yes. Uh, and you can vote on those polls right now. And next week, uh, the poll mm-hmm. was for sitcoms. A whole bunch of sitcoms. You had the options of voting for GCB, a.k.a. Good Christian Bitches, uh, starring Kristen Chenoweth and Leslie Bibb. Um, you also, your options were Charlie Hoover, about a guy whose imaginary best friend was a one-foot-tall Sam Kinison. You had Kitchen Confidential, which was the Anthony Bourdain story starring Bradley Cooper as Anthony Bourdain, basically. Basically. And, and Worst Week, which was about a guy trying to impress his in-laws, and the guy looked exactly like Whitney Seibel. <laughs> uh, that poll is actually over already pretty quickly because we had to pick, you know... This pick one for next week. Yeah, so that... Uh, good Christian Bitches will be next week. Uh, but there are also polls available on the site that you can still vote for that are still wide open. Um, there are polls of uh, legal thrillers. Mm-hmm. There is a poll of horror-themed shows. And coming up, we're going to have polls of private detective shows and Eek! The Internet, <laughs> which is all about shows that were about how the computers are going to destroy us all, mm-hmm. uh, mostly mm-hmm. from the 90s. A bit, big wave of those in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's going on right now. Uh, let's read a few letters. Let's read a few letters. Uh, this one comes from Hayden. Hey, Hayden. Letters, letters, letters. We get letters. Uh, we are... Canceled too soon at gmail.com. That's great. Uh, hello. On your most recent episode of Canceled Too Soon, you talked about spoilers, and William said something that I heavily disagree with. You said that it's if it's in the trailer, it's not a spoiler. Uh, I hate to be blunt, but I think that's total BS. Now, okay. I'm going to try to be a little more mature. Time and time again, studios have shown massive spoilers in their trailers and sometimes have just shown the entire movie. Examples are Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. The Beguiled, Room, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. If you watch these trailers, you've seen the whole movie. Well, yep. I... Uh, Last Chance Charlie is the worst at that. Like we see the whole, we see the climax. Oh, for and me, the, and the epilogue. I, and the I think the worst one ever is Castaway, which tells you whether or not he gets off the island. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, while I do agree that most, with most of what you said about spoilers, I do think there are too many examples of studios spoiling their films for what you said to be true. I believe even the, if the trailer spoils something, you still shouldn't talk about it if it plays out like a spoiler. Uh, I'm a, uh, you know what? If it's in the public, if it's been yeah. exposed to the public, if before the studio the is of the comfortable film, with you knowing that, then yeah. it's not on us it's on them so they've already told everyone that's common knowledge at that point yeah so you can't really i mean it it might play out like a spoiler in the film and Mm -hmm. the studio may have effectively spoiled their own surprises and sure you technically that is a quote spoiler but it's if it's just information about the movie if it's in a trailer i look at it i look at a trailer the way uh, common knowledge is the best way to put it i Mm. think it's it's not that it's not a spoiler anymore it's that the information is already out there Mm. and you can just run into it randomly i look at uh, the information in a trailer the way i look at historical information if you're looking at a historical movie Mm. um that would be like saying you know at the end of lincoln lincoln's gonna get assassinated Mm. that's not a spoiler that's that's history you 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 might already know that you probably do know that Mm. um like those astronauts on apollo 13 made it back okay 
Yeah, like that's that's not a spoiler. You you should probably know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if you're really young, you don't. But like, it's not weird if you do. Like they mm-hmm. the the people who made the movie assume you know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the the big sick. You know, it's like. Emily's in a coma. Is she going to come out? Well, yeah, she co-wrote the screenplay of this movie that you're watching right now. Yeah, she's yeah. okay. Yeah, it's fine. Like I, I, I realize it feels like a spoiler, mm. and maybe to some degree it is, but there's only so much we can do about it if the information is out there. Mm. Um, so I, my philosophy that if it's in the trailer, it's not a spoiler. Maybe it should be a spoiler, mm. but it's not anymore. Yeah. The studio already spoiled it. We're done. I, that's I, I. You have to draw the line somewhere. It's not a spoiler. I, it's a spoiled. I I, I I don't disagree with your argument. I just think that there's literally nothing we can do about it by that mm. point. And if the studio doesn't care, why should I? Yeah, yeah. They, it's they're the ones who stand to lose money if people don't want to see it because it's spoiled. Mm. Anyway, uh, here's a letter from a Cecil. Cecil. Hello, Cecil. Hi. Hey guys. Why is the Big Bang Theory very popular despite being the worst thing? <laughs> My theory is because its target audience are the bewildered friends and family of family members of nerds. This explains why there are sexist, racist, garbage humans, and yet the show is popular because that is how nerds are. How wacky. Um, I, I, um, I honestly think that's probably the case. My parents mm, like the big... Or my, yeah. well, my mom does. My dad used to. Um, it, 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 it's nerd culture from the outside, that's for sure. Yeah, they're laughing it's at not, us. It's not like Spaced, which is nerd culture from the inside, mm-hmm. or anything else now, which is nerd culture from the inside. Mm. Um, this is the last thing where people can sort of look at nerd culture rather than mm-hmm. participate in it. And and they think they're... Listen, listen. if you genuinely like the Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. okay. If you don't have this tack, if you just really love these characters, or mm-hmm. they do remind you of someone you like, and you look upon them with absolute, actual affection. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but for a lot of us, the show feels really dehumanizing. It really re- reverts a lot of people who have genuine interests and passions and feel like real people into these weird stories Doc joke machines. Yeah. Um, that just, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel fair. Mm. It doesn't feel polite. It's just kind of fucked up and strange. And uh, listen, my parents have made me watch Big Bang Theory with them. Okay. Because it was Christmas and I was staying over and they liked it. It's good to see. You're stuck on a long flight. <laughs> Occasionally they stumble across a funny gag. Oh. I'll give them that. Well, any sitcom is going to. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, if we're going on for that long, you fucking better. Like, so there, there's some amusing bits here or there. And honestly, and actually the cast in a vacuum is is good. Mm-hmm. They, I've seen them be good in other things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those sitcoms where it's the same joke over and over again. If you don't think that joke is funny... It's not a funny show. Here, here's, and if you're the butt of the joke, you're not going to think it's funny. And here's a really weird thing about this. And I was, I've talked to my wife about this. Um, Jim Parsons plays the lead character on that show. Well, he became uh, the lead. Character. I guess he, yeah, he, he's he, kind of he's, stolen. He's, he's the breakout star of that show. Yeah, uh, he, he's the Fonz. He was supposed to be the supporting character, and mm, then became the main character, more or less. Yeah. Um, Jim Parsons is gay, and. Um, the theory is that the sort of like horrible snipey cattiness of the character is kind of a like it's a way to code his gayness mm. that that the that version of nerd culture as depicted in the big bang theory is actually just a blanket over gayness see i thought and they that, were that, just making that sort fun of, of people who are on the spectrum that's also of, offensive. that sort of catty culture that you know, it's it's so people can enjoy gay people without having to deal with gay people right never mind that the actor is gay but uh so it adds this extra kind of 
offensive level of obfuscation yeah. See, again, to, to the show. And even if you just look at it on its surface, he's mm. he's clearly on the spectrum. Yeah. Like, yeah. so you're just also making fun of that. Mm. Like, I don't know. Like, again, The Big Bang Theory is a show that people sort of look at and see what they want to see. And if you're seeing something positive and you're getting something out of it, that's fine. But yeah, it rubs me the wrong way. Mm. I, every time I see an episode or part of an episode or even just the clip online, mm. I'm just clawing off my face <laughs> like one of the aliens in V. Just, ah! I can't, I can't do it. So I'm totally with you on this. Um, but, I've, yeah. I've never seen a whole episode of The Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang, I've, I've, I've skimmed past it. I don't never really have paid too much attention. The Big Bang Theory is one of those shows that you know you you, you see. Oh, there's a new show coming out at NBC. It's about what? No, I don't care. Mm. And then like five years later, you find out it's the biggest thing ever. Mm. When that happens, I usually try to make a concerted effort to at least try it. Maybe I'm missing something. Mm. Um, and I watch it, and I'm like. Uh, no. <laughs> and then a couple years later, it's still around. Jesus Christ. Will the show never end? Maybe I better give it another try. Uh, no. Still bad. <laughs> but like people are seeing something in it. I just think it's I'm not in that demo. And it's weird because the demo should be geeks, but it's not. Um, geeks are the people who rejected the outright. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I remember like a lot of people uh, protested panels at like comic book conventions. Mm-hmm. It's like that's fake geekery. We're we're the real thing here. But that, know, that, that, that opens a whole new can of worms. The, the fake so geekery is a whole you. different conversation. If there is such a thing as fake geekery, I think Big Bang Theory qualifies, but I don't even know mm. anymore. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open that can of worms. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. If you love something, you love it. And that even goes for Big Bang Theory. If you're a geek about Big Bang Theory, that's fine. Mm. I, I'm not, and I if I have a sort of a negative reaction to it. Um but um yeah, yeah, we're just going to have to live and let live on this one, I think. <laughs> uh, here's a letter from Peter. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hi, guys. I really enjoyed this week's episode about fishing with John. I have attached a link to a 1989 episode of Night Music TV program <gasps> featuring the Lounge Lizards. Ooh, that was John thank Lur- you. John I'll have to check that out. Band. The pre-interview with Jules Holland plays out like a, a scene from Fishing with John or perhaps the Larry Sanders show. John is unhappy with Jules' prepared introduction and then does a terrible job of not sounding like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so John Lurie just gives difficult interview. Great job on the podcast, Peter. That's great. So that he was awkward on the show probably is just him. Well, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> they, played the, they cast him well. All right, here's one from Steven. Hi, Steven. Hi. Dear esteemed hosts. Ooh. We are esteemed. That's nice. I wanted to let you know that as a kid, one of my favorite things was the TV guide. And every every year they would do a fall preview, and though they would preview all the new shows, they would always highlight certain shows that critics as critics' choice shows. Some of the shows I remember were very that I was very high on were Last Resort, which you've mentioned, mm-hmm. and Lone Star, starring John Voight. Neither lasted longer than a season. No, are you hinting something? Uh, onto a couple f- uh, ideas for shows. Maybe you can do a month featuring shows that debuted twenty years ago. Well, I yeah. guess we kind of did that today. Uh, yeah, we did, actually. Rora's yeah. a 20-year-old show. Yeah. Um, Last chance for, for that to be a 20-year-old but show. But he says, for example, while shows like Will and Grace debuted on NBC, so did Conrad Bloom. And while <laughs> King of Queens debuted on CBS, so did The Brian Ben-Ben Show. Oh, Brian Ben-Ben. <laughs> I always like Brian Ben-Ben. This is where I say... The Brian Ben-Ben Show? Yeah, I don't you remember the Brian Ben-Ben Show? It was the one with Brian Ben-Ben that wasn't Dream On. I don't remember Yeah, that he had a show, show about yeah. Brian Ben-Ben. I think it would be a fun look back. Uh, lastly, with American Idol coming back, I know you haven't done a singing competition show. No, we have not. There is only one I can think of that you should do. It's one called Sing Your Face Off. 
It was a show where celebrities would impersonate famous singers and try to sound like them. So if you want to see John Lovitz doing Elton John, or Lisa Rinna doing Dolly Parton, and Sebastian Bach doing Willie Nelson, this is the show for you. Thanks for the entertainment. Sincerely, Stephen. Oh, that sounds awful. We should do that. Sing your face off. Oh, we should do that. We haven't done a lot of reality. We've only done one game show. Uh We've only done one, like, reality show, and I was like, Fishing with John, which is only semi-reality. We'll we'll try to get to more reality There's a couple I really want to do, but my tastes in those tend to go kind of esoteric. <laughs> we should probably leave that one up to a poll. I yeah, think. we should probably right. tell give people the opportunity on Patreon to force. Maybe we can do that in February. Uh, maybe a, or, or a month of them. Month of, just to kind of get a knock a bunch oh, out. God, I don't know. That sounds like <laughs> reality TV how, is not. How like is it that. harder than what we're doing now? Because I had, at I least there's main, a narrative. I had to mainline 13 episodes of Roar in like 48 hours. It was hard. <laughs> I was up late. I was falling into this weird vortex where only I and this show existed, and I was hallucinating. And he was Keith Ledger was in the room with me. It was difficult. <laughs> D- doing a month of reality shows is a cakewalk. <laughs> you say that now. Well, yeah, I say that now. <laughs> All right, one or two more. Uh, here's another one from Hayden. Hello, okay. Hayden. Hi, Hayden. Um, uh, hello. As you may know, there has been this conversation about how Twin Peaks: The Return, uh, whether or not Twin Peaks: The Return is a movie or not. Uh, the simple answer is no. Uh, I don't know why this is even a debate. For one, it was never intended to be a movie, and even though Lynch made a show similar to how he made it similar to how he would make a movie, two, it didn't pull in OJ and have a theatrical release in select mm-hmm. areas where you could watch the entire thing in one sitting. While yes, in most cases a theatrical release doesn't always matter, like in the case of Netflix original films, but in the case of Twin Peaks: The Return, it does matter because we're talking about a TV show. Am I correct, or am I an uncultured simpleton? Hayden. Uh, no, it's a TV show. It, it is, is a, a serialized television series mm. that aired on television. Mm. That was a, a follow-up to a television series. Yeah. I don't know how... how the whole argument that people were having, oh, Twin Peaks is a movie. Mm. Um, some... I can't remember who. I want to say it was film Comment. Uh, some prestigious publication mm. put out their list of the best movies of the year and they put Twin Peaks as like number one. Oh, it was, it was Cairo du Cinema. It was Cairo du Cinema. Yeah. Okay, Cairo du Cinema is a bunch of pretentious jerks. <laughs> and that's their, and I'm going to say it right now, that's their job. No, they, they own that. Their job is to have standards that are so impossibly high you don't even really understand what they're looking for any longer. Yeah. And I admire that and mm. because somebody needs to have standards that high. I think they raised the conversation about it and I think it's a stupid conversation mm. because uh, you are not a movie just because you're really good television. It's incredibly <laughs> condescending to the entire medium of television yeah. to say that you are so good, you're no longer what you are. Mm. That's like saying your painting is so good, you no longer painted it. It's a photograph now. Uh. Fuck off. <laughs> no, it's still a painting. Yeah. It's just a very good painting. It's, it's incredibly insulting, mm. actually, I find. Um, if you want to say that it's fucking... If you want to say it's the best cinema or the best use of the cinematic art form, because... Aside from the delivery system and serialization, cinema and television basically use the same They use artistic, a, lot, a lot of the same language. They, yeah. they use mostly the same language. Mm. Um, if you want to say it was the best filmmaking, because we really don't have TV making as mm. like a verb to speak of, uh, of the year, I'll, I'll let you have that. But it's not a movie. Mm. It is a television series. It is a brilliant television series. It's absolutely incredible. I'm so glad I watched it. Mm. Um, I hope they make more, honestly, because it was really great. Um, so... Yeah, it's brilliant, and mm-hmm. it's a fucking TV show. Jesus Christ! <laughs> what the hell? Uh, 
Kyrgyz cinema, ha- you know, they more or less popularized, maybe even invented the whole notion of auteur theory. I think they basically invented they, it. They invented yeah. the phrase at the very least. Yeah. And uh, so the notion that an auteur like David Lynch, who is very, very big in France, yeah. would come back and do his thing sort of falls into their theories of what a filmmaker is and what he did was essentially make a film that was 18 hours long. Right. It's in the eyes of Cahiers du Cinema. And I appreciate so that. So they're trying they are trying to argue that it is if you look at Twin Peaks the Return as a piece of cinema then that is the the best piece of cinema of the year. I can appreciate that. I it's disagree. A, and it's a fucking TV series. Yeah. Mm. All right, we'll do one more. All right. Uh this one comes from Topher. Hello. Hi Topher. Uh and this is on Kindred, Kindred the Embraced. So I finally got caught up on the backlog I've accumulated during the quarter and have some things to say about Kindred the Embraced. Good. So let's get a quick thing out of the way first. I will go to, I will go to bat for the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> it has some of the strongest heel face turns that I have ever encountered. Now onto Kindred the Embraced as a property. I have to lay out first that I am a fan of Vampire the Masquerade as a setting and a LARP as well. Cool. LARP, live action roleplay. Yeah. Uh, now with that in mind, I think the show has... Two big issues. The first is that the show starts out in messy internal Camarilla politics when it really should have started centered around the Camarilla slash Sabat fight, Vampire the Masquerade's good versus evil fight. We're gonna, okay. I, I have a. I've, I fear we're going to go deep here. I, okay. I, you know what? I'm going to take your word for that. Okay. I'm just going to assume that's true. The other big issue with the show is one <laughs> more about when it was released. If you look at the teen genre shows that made it big right around the time after Kindred aired, most of them had female protagonists. I think this would have been a much better received show had it a female protagonist. I completely agree with that they throw way too much of the viewer at the start. I would have worked... It would have worked much better if they did a newly turned vampire who is learning about vampire society and the different clans as it went along. Hmm. This would have allowed it to play really full with the lore of Vampire the, Ma- the lore of Vampire the Masquerade without needing to explain everything that goes on all at once. It's, it's an effective way to bring people into the world of Vampire the Masquerade and the larger world of darkness. You know that was demonstrated by Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines in yeah. 2004. There is a uh, there that is a trope you see in a lot of fantasy fiction in particular. Mm-hmm. Any t- any fiction where someone needs to enter a new world Mm. where they just sort of just someone just sort of walks around and here's this and this is what this means and mm. this magic is this way and Harry Potter's a lot like this as well yeah, you, and you have an avatar for the audience that we can give exposition to in a more yeah. natural way it's a it's a great framework to give exposition it's really hard to get a character out of that yeah it's a miracle JK Rowling did it because most people don't and you look at some, <laughs> look at something like Hellboy Hellboy is like the Ur example yeah, the movie this. Hellboy is like the ultimate example of we're going to introduce a character who only exists have things explained to them and he is so fucking useless and uncared about that they wrote him off off camera between movies yeah because now we don't need him anymore shit's been explained so that might have worked and probably considering how complicated vampire the masquerade was it might have been one of those like sort of necessary evils uh-huh. you have to go with but like eventually you need to do something with that character i'm just saying it's, it's a trope i think is interesting and people fall he, into it a lot he also wants to correct a few things about the show let's do it okay finally some quick corrections about the clans good the bruja are more street gang or motorcycle gangs than the mafia. The Giovanni are the mafia. Like legit, their short hair, uh, their shorthand in, in the community is incestuous, incestuous vampire mafia. They also <laughs> happen to be one of the most prominent bad guys of the setting. Can I start a hip hop group called the Incestuous Vampire Mafia? Because that sounds I, great. I really hope you do. I want a goth rap group <laughs> called Incestuous Vampire Mafia. Yeah, and we'll, we'll have a spinoff of Rockula. <laughs> Sold. Here's your check. Jeez. <laughs> 
Uh, the gangrel are in tune with nature people. As they get older, they actually gain the features of animals like horns and tails and stuff like that. The followers of Set are straight up cult leaders. Sorry for the long message, but I had things to say about this show and how they how they depicted more uh, this You're, strange right. sentence. How they were depicted uh, though uh, modern fantasy mythology throughout modern fantasy mythologies I have encountered. Sincerely, Topher. Topher, thank you for sending us straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I res- again. Uh, we went on a bit of a rant about the Big Bang Theory, but I do respect anyone's geekery. Uh, uh-huh. It doesn't have to be our geekery. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm glad we were able to give you an opportunity because we didn't have mm-hmm. anyone to join us uh, for <laughs> to, Vampire. To, yeah, sort of lay that a little bit straight. Yeah, so we were we were doing our best, and I'm glad uh, you kept us honest. Mm-hmm. So thank you very, very much. That is Canceled Too Soon this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, and you can email us at cancelledtosoon at gmail.com. You can follow us at canceledcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash canceledtosoon um, you know, for various donations. You get various mm-hmm. perks. We're going to be re- we're gonna looking at our perks, make sure that we're giving you stuff that we can give you consistently and that'll be worth your money. So there might be some slight changes to that mm-hmm. coming in the future. So st- stick around. Let us know if you have any thoughts in that regard. Um, but uh, make sure if you're a Patreon subscriber, you listen to our new Cancel Too Soon monthly movie, exclusive for Patreon subscribers, all about the TV movie Killdozer. <laughs> and make sure you participate in the Patreon polls because you, our Patreon subscribers, get to decide what shows we're going to review all throughout the month of January. Um, and there's some really cool stuff on those polls already. And uh, join us next week for the first winner of those polls, uh, GCB. Good Christian Bitches, starring Christian Chenoweth. <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, again, uh, and uh, have a happy new year. We will see you next season. <laughs>